Okay, The Circuit Episode 8, I think it is, Jay. We're on Episode 8. How about that? Pretty cool. Lucky number 8. Lucky number 8. So, today's discussion will be interesting. What we talked about and kind of the way I think about uh, this, so the the topic for everybody, spoiler, is uh, AI infrastructure. And, you know, the way that I think about this is is there's some fundamental uh, compute problems and bottlenecks that we're up against with generative AI, um, large foundational models. And there was some news around that today from Facebook with their llama models, which are smaller, um, obviously not quite as robust as something like ChatGPT that was on something like 300 billion parameters. And, and, and these things are just going to get bigger as larger foundational models go. Uh, but but the reality of this is there's a tremendous, and I don't think everybody fully understands, just a tremendous amount of compute uh, that goes into this. In fact, I saw a tweet um, a couple days ago where there was some power dynamics, so energy usage to train these models. And um, it was like worse than crypto, like in terms of how much energy it takes to run 10, 15, however many thousand GPUs we're running to train to train these models. But but that's the, you know the stage that we're in is is the last few years have had these transformer architecture models kind of breakthroughs now start to move and you're seeing with with ChatGPT and Google's Bard and a range of other things that are going to show up. And when I look at this, you know, I, I'm I'm astounded at how computationally intense it is, but then also how fast this overall market's growing. And I, I feel like we are running, we're going to run up against a demand for AI applications, outstripping our ability to provide necessary compute and to some degree necessary scale to meet that demand. So I'm just lob my big problem out, out at you. And then there, <laughs> there's my, my grand initial problem statement. Okay. I, you know, okay. I, I think, yes, I, I certainly agree. There is big demand for AI systems, obviously. That's, everyone's talking about it. I live, you know, half a mile from Hayes Valley, which is apparently the epicenter of all mm-hmm. things GPT. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to discount a, a lot of what we hear, though, because we're just at that point in the hype cycle where yep. GPT is going to take over the world. I, uh, You know... I think you know we, we've we've done this so many times. You, you you and I both know like it's it's not it's it's going to take a long time to get there, but it's going to be probably bigger than we expect when it does. Um, just to put some things in context, I looked this up, and by look it up, I actually mean I asked ChatGPT how many GPUs it required to train GPT three, mm-hmm. and and it used to it used to not give an answer, but this time it gave me an answer. It said. Uh, the GPT-3 model was trained on 3,072 GPUs, and it had 175 billion parameters. Uh, and 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 that was in tw- uh, that was 2020. It was released in 2020, so that means it was using probably NVIDIA A100s. A100s, yeah. Right, and so now GPT-4 is going to be the next one. I don't know how many I, I I don't know how many parameters it has, but it's it's you know more than 175 billion. I'm guessing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it's a couple, two, three X stat probably. And, but, but it's going to get trained on H100s, I think. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, maybe it won't be ready in time, but whatever. Like somebody's going to train something on H100s, which are much, much, much more powerful than A100s. Uh, so just to put that in context, like what is an A100 cost? Probably $10,000 each. So uh, $10,000 times $30 million times 3,072 is, you know, $30 million of just, just the compute plus, you know, the rest of the cost of the server and the power. So I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of money. Yep. Right. But of and, course and, it, was and, in, it was done in the cloud. So it's not like they have to pay for all of that, you know, it's, right. We're going to need a lot of GPUs. That's that's yep. or something to train all this. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the timing of this episode and the NVIDIA didn't get to fit into our, our earnings preview from a few weeks ago, but they announced their earnings yesterday or two days ago. Um, the stock popped because they guided to kind of a better year for data center. And I think on the back of this generative AI trend where clearly the people are going to start shipping or, or buying H100s instead of A100s, and and the whole system that that ties NVIDIA solutions together puts them in a really good spot. I mean, I, I mentioned this, right? I, I think they have near 100% or something very close um, on training here for these foundational models and, and these transformers, not inference, just, just sort of the training side. But the lion's share is being done on on NVIDIA software. And, and Jensen used this number at their... Um, Investor Day last year, and he highlighted it again today, that just chips and systems, so infrastructure um, components, is like a $300 billion TAM. Now, over time, yes, right, how long? But that's a monstrous subject. That's not even software. That's not services. Uh, that's just the chipset TAM, $300 billion. You know, NVIDIA is a $26, $28, 30000000000 billion a year company, right? So to throw out a number that says, hey, look, $300 billion, and hey, right now we're the lion's share majority of these, chi- of these chips on training, maybe not forever, but that's a, that's a huge upside. And I think a lot of that's driving this, this multiple that they're trading at, which was 100 yesterday. I didn't look today, uh, but now the largest in all semiconductor companies because you know, they're really, really well positioned. But again, I keep coming back to this. They they can only make so many GPUs. You know, it's like, it's not like they can all of a sudden ship whatever, 30, 40 million, right? We're talking about, you know, 20, 30 million servers. I I, I just wonder how much of, of this, like I said, outstrips uh, capacity, compute capacity, because, and I agree with you, right? We're in a, we're in an initial bubble and this might last, Two years, I don't know. Three years, I don't know how long. But we're in this bubble, but in that bubble is going to be very, very computationally uh, complex. And so those are some bottlenecks I think we're we're up against. And it's not like you can immediately solve this with a coprocessor or some other AI accelerator. Like you solve this on parallel compute and GPU. So I kind of again, I just I'm sensitive to uh, we might see some bottlenecks. Like how much is that going to hurt? Who can do what? And who has access to compute and who doesn't? Yeah, so I, I think about it this way, is whatever size the GPU, data center GPU market is, training is roughly sort of 10% of that, right? So it's probably a billion dollar market today. I don't know, I'm just 
making up these numbers, sure, sure. but the, it's sort of 10, 20, it's about 10, 10-ish percent, right? The, the big bulk of the opportunity is inference, and we can talk about that later. But right. in training, training is incredibly computational intense. You need some real heavy iron to throw at it. And there, there's, you know, there is NVIDIA doing training today. And then who else, right? Google has a version of TPU. It's like a subset of, of, of the current TPU right. that, it's, that they're going to use for training. But I'm pretty sure their, their barred uh, GPT clone or answer to GPT that was done on NVIDIA. I've heard, I've heard that rumor. Um, AWS has Trainium, uh, but so far that's only in version one. I, 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 again, I'm pretty confident they're working in version two, so they must be seeing something yeah. they like. But yep. that's not that's not training these big these big LLM large language model GPT things yet. It's it's you know it's a very very first gen chip, and uh, you know and we certainly don't see AMD GPUs being used for this. So uh, yeah, <laughs> there is uh, you know I, I I think I think you're right. There will be bottlenecks. It's not a huge huge market. Like his three billion dollar figure is for all of everything. Yep, all right? of it. Right. So, right. but even even still, ten percent of that is goes to training. That's still a thirty billion dollar market, which, like you said, is you know their revenue today. Yep. So, I, I think it's I, I think what will be interesting from a commercial perspective, like how much pain will everybody be willing to put up with before somebody's willing to try an alternative? Right. And I, it'll be very interesting to see how well NVIDIA can navigate this because they're essentially 100% share that makes them a monopoly. And they're expensive, but I don't think anyone is accusing them of price gouging. They're pretty performative parts. and They're not $100,000 per GPU. So do they continue to walk that line and just make it just expensive enough that they get good margins, really good margins, but not so expensive that somebody else is sort of given away into the market uh, yep because getting getting into the training market for for anyone else is gonna be really challenging like what, yeah you know three four years ago there was this big wave of uh the, all the big usbcs invested in they picked their favorite ai accelerator and almost all of those companies failed like yeah or, you know or, or failing now or they got acquired pre-revenue um i mean there's some good exits there but there wasn't a lot of really competitive product coming out. Yep. And the ones, the ones that were sort of explicitly going after the training market, training market, got hit the hardest because there's some real software barriers to entry here that really only uh, Nvidia can address because it all comes down to CUDA. Yep. Yeah. So, and I think the 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 you know the big thing is like you said, a lot of those accelerators. Um, I mean, re- really where they felt a lot of them fell down was they just, they couldn't run transformer architectures. You know, they're fine for inference. They're fine to accelerate parts of that, but not really the training side. And, and, you know, and I, I have heard of, you know, AMD has some usage, but again, not nearly the, the, the same degree that, uh, that, in, that NVIDIA is, but, but you're right in terms of the, you know, the size of the market, right? It's not all training, but, but training, the you know networking switches. I think that's what Jensen's three hundred three hundred billion dollar number is. But again, I think it shows how much growth and upside there is, or or at least how much pressure this this space will put on you know companies to grow and scale. You know because because it's interesting. I, I don't know how many of these you know kind of initial AI startup you know g- generative uh, 
software platforms you're trying like but i'm on like a i'm on like 30 or so different you know trials that i'm on or betas and the funny thing is they they have to la- launch these in limited capacity because they just don't they can't scale right they can't just let everybody in at one time it's really expensive it gets super slow and it just doesn't scale now you're absolutely right like not all of these are going to are going to stick right this is a this is a boom bust cycle which is fine but it's just i just find it interesting that not a single one is open like you have to reserve your spot for all of them just because again it's expensive and and they just don't scale and a lot of that's still on the inference side it's not necessarily on you know the model's been trained they've put their wrapper around gpt or something and this is just they still have trouble scaling so i think again it just shows how much pressure there is on the data center and the upside opportunity for growth when you're seeing these problems day one and you sort of thought this shouldn't have problem scaling but it is having problem scaling yeah i, I think that's the thing is it's it's the, the limited availability is all down to the cost of inference right which is in theory can be done it doesn't have to be done on nvidia it can be done on lots of other things yeah um but everything's getting bottlenecked on that because it's it's pretty expensive, right? Dylan Dylan Patel did a a piece yeah. sort of, you know, did, he he did a couple pieces trying to guess the cost of it and how much it was going to cost for someone else to replicate. And I, I, I it's it's some good math, but I actually think all this sort of scarcity right now is is going to be a head fake for the industry for the semis industry because people are going to look at this and say, oh look, ChatGPT is a real thing, LLMs are a real thing. Let's let's really go hard after this inference market because it's much bigger than the training market, and we can't get into training anyway. But let's go after the inference market because that's you know that's where the bottlenecks are. And I actually think in you know a, a cycle or two, the cost of inference is going to fall pretty dramatically. I I am I, I think I think that that's like people are going to focus on that opportunity, and I think it's going to deflate fairly quickly. That's that's where the bubble will really first because i mean it's just you know more we, we will still have more's law for this hype cycle and uh the, the cost of inference is going to fall pretty dramatically plus there is every everybody and their brother or sister is going after some kind of inference chip right i mean i you know i, I see a lot of pitches and I've, i literally see one pitch a week for somebody has some new inference chip out there and it's like i i don't think the market is is big enough for that. Like I think for the sure. data center, the data center hyperscalers are mostly going to rely on their own silicon or NVIDIA, a little bit of AMD thrown in. And then, right. So then what you're really talking about is inference at the edge in kind of all kinds of random devices. And that feels to me like that market's going to go to the incumbent, right? Apple already has sure. all kinds of inference sure. in the iPhone. Qualcomm yep. talks up their inference stuff. Um, yep. So I'm not I'm not quite sure where where the market is for new companies here. As big as the opportunity is exciting as it sounds right now, I am I'm a little bit hesitant about it all. Yeah, I, I think I I would agree with that. I mean, I think when you look at the inference opportunity, um, n- no doubt, even even if you're traditional players, right? So Intel. And AMD, and then you know, eventually with with Nvidia's CPU, like even by the incumbents coming in and solving those solutions, will we'll bring those costs down. I, I don't know, right. I don't know how much of an opportunity there's, like you said, for 
something else which might be an ARM or an FPGA or a Risk Five based based architecture that's doing. It. I just don't. I agree with you. I don't know where those fit because again, you're exactly right. Amazon will will bring it down with their costs. Google bring it down with TPU, probably their ARM accelerator. Microsoft will do something custom, I'm sure, at some point that's that's in this area. And so, what are you, what are you left with, right? It's it's kind of a a moot moot opportunity. Yeah, I think I actually think that like I, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm sounding pretty downbeat, and I don't I don't mean to, um, but I think that we have to be everyone has to be very smart about which opportunities they go after. Because I think we're going to in, encounter a, a case of Jervon's paradox here, where the price of inference will fall pretty radically, and then we'll start to see inference put in all kinds of other things, which maybe makes it more interesting. Like, you know, there, there's certainly inference going in all kinds of IoT devices, cameras, right, right, right. remote-controlled cars, industrial stuff. Uh, you know, we I, I think the industry is barely even thought about what we can do with uh, AI inference in industrial machines. And there's probably a fair amount of utility there, uh, but it's going to be a while before we start digging into that. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this one before, but even just looking at sort of what's going on, I guess you consider this edge, right? But in, in agriculture, especially with the tractor that John Deere keeps showing off, that's got like five different cameras, thousands of sensors that'll right, recognize a, a plant versus a weed I mean, this is like completely unexplored territory where you're putting edge compute plus some cloud, right? That that's going on in, in a vertical environment. You've got healthcare, you've got all these different smart cities, right? Areas where that makes a big difference, and that's a wide a wide open field. One, just in terms of like, I, I think about this is super interesting, just from like a like a hospital standpoint, right? Especially when we look at these these models, because the you know a hosp for a hospital to run call it some form of a generative data application, you know, they don't need it to be 170 billion, right? 300 billion uh, uh, endpoints. Like they just need data points that's theirs, right? Their models might be really small, but then they're using it for their research or their hospital's knowledge base. And so for them, they don't need to train this this massive parameter model. They can use a small, small model, but still use that same approach and get value from it. Like legal companies are another one, right? I know there's like a handful of now legal verticals. One of them is named Harvey. I only remember that because of the suits, the suits show. But the there theirs is again, what if a legal company just trains it on their data? So now they have their resource, their archive, their um, you know, their trials, their cases. It doesn't have to be that big. But that's still gonna require that inference, that training, maybe some on-prem stuff. So it's it's interesting how this gets used in verticals. And then again, the impact that that'll have on Backend systems, cloud providers, middleware—you know, you name it. I think, I think part of the difficulty in in thinking through all this or analyzing all this is the fact that we we're sort of all hung up on calling it AI. When you know, really, if we just substitute the word AI for for software, right? right. There's a cool new software tool out there. Right. And it right. it just right. happens to be incredibly compute intense. But there's a cool new software, there's a cool new application. Uh let's let's figure out different ways to use it. And I, I think that's a if you start to look at it from that framework where AI isn't some separate weird thing, it's just matrix multiplication at big scale, but it's just matrix multiplication. We it, it doesn't have to mean the whole semiconductor industry has to shift. 
what we've just found is there's a whole new category of software that's going to run on it. Mm. And I think it's, you know, uh, you know, analogous to sort of, you know, office productivity suites, right? Office productivity sure. tools, right? And in, in, in the 1980s, that drove PCs, right? That was a big industry. Yep. Um, I don't yep. think it reshaped semiconductors. It certainly funded a lot of them. And I think we'll see something similar here too, where we have a new set of productivity tools that aren't necessarily going to change how we do compute directly, but are going to be a big driver for that. Yeah. That's it. I'm just going to, no. I'm not even, I'm not going to call it software anymore. I'm just going to, I'm not going to call it AI anymore. I'm just gonna yeah. Call it well, and it's, and it, and it's, it's true too. Like I, I had made this point a while back on, on Twitter where I said, you know, if you really look at what the, the, the underlying use cases that people get excited about, it's really just workflow automation. Like it's just helping you do do stuff faster, right? And so really, it may not even be artificial intelligence. It's just artificial automation, right? It's just speeding up your tests. And and I even said this on Twitter, Twitter yesterday because the thing that, that got everybody excited about ChatGPT when I showed it to them for the first time was not that they were like, this is going to revolutionize how I search the web. They're like, man, this is going to help me speed up my day job tasks, like, so when this comes to Office or when it comes to Workspace or when it comes to Adobe and people can just speed up their workflows, like that's where this gets really excited. That goes back to your, your software point, right? This is just a new way to enhance and enable software productivity tools, workflow tools that's going to let us get more done in a short amount of time. And yes, it takes a lot of compute, which is exciting. And there's a long growth area, but it's kind of another... I don't know what you want to say. I, don't, I, I hate using the epoch term. It gets too used, but it's just another phase in development of software toward our goals of being more productive with computers as humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that, I mean, I remember back to the days of MS-DOS. I remember my friend, Brad Turner had a, his dad worked for an airline and he had a PC in the early eighties and he had a PC in the house. And one time we, we snuck down and we turned it on. And we thought we were being so so naughty, and it was just like an MS DOS <laughs> PC, and we've got we got so bored so quickly. It just text based, yeah. like we. I mean, we, you know, it was the we we turned it off after five minutes. Um, but then, like, he needed that for work, but not many people did. Not so long later, Windows came out and Office came out, and suddenly there was this huge growth of utility that anybody could use. You didn't have to learn how to do DOS-based commands. And so people went out and bought PCs, had a good reason to go out and buy PCs. And I think, I think that's something very analogous to what's happening here is we're adding another very powerful, useful set of productivity tools that the average person can use for certain things. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, it, but at the same time, I, I, I think part of the problem we always fall into is it, that term artificial intelligence for a right. lot of people, that sounds that sounds much more exciting than it really is. Sure, it's it's a big deal, but it's not like computers. Skynet is not arriving, right? How right. is not here yet? Right. Yeah, AGI is still still a long long way long way off. But but no, I, I think that's the right that's the right perspective. I, I I'm curious though on this because I've been I've been sort of debating like in the scheme, in the grand scheme of this history that you know you sort of just outlined and you kind of look at from you know DOS to Windows 95 to mobile and touch like something in here feels like we're on the cusp of a new way to interact with computers just this whole either text or speech speech based so like do you would you would you 
say that we're kind of similar at a moment of man to human interface interactions as some of those fundamental ones? Or is this more just an evolution of what we've had? Yeah, I, something about this is sort of tickling a, uh, something in my brain. I want to write it down. I haven't totally figured out how to articulate it yet. But I think this is not that. I don't think this is a fundamentally new way to interface with compute, which is what PCs were, which is what mobile was. Right. This is this is just something much more useful to do with those tools that already exist. And I think the semiconductor industry in particular is on the hunt for the next smartphone, sure. next PC. Sure. I don't I don't think this will be that. This will be important, but it's going to be a little bit narrower. Uh, because I, I mean, I, I think AR, if it ever gets here, will will be that sort of next interface. And I think those those are epochal. The word for it, epochal. Sure, sure, e- sure. How we epochal. how we interact, how we do inter- uh, I/O. How do we interact and put an output right. with a device? This is a, a very. This is more akin to a killer app. Okay. I, I think that's how I, that's how I'm sort of thinking about it. Um, but it, because because I've played around with a lot, especially with GPT and um, with ChatGPT, and it's it's I, I can see the utility in it. Um, it certainly is great for certain things, but it's still a little bit, um, I'm still typing into a, a keyboard yeah, right? and I'm, you know, it's, it's not, it will be useful for certain things, but it's not going to really necessarily change big chunks of my life. Right. Yet. Right. And I think the challenge with that, you know, and honestly, like I told, I mentioned, right. I've, I've been trying these, you know, dozens of different things. I keep coming back to chat GPT as the most sticky of all of them, but even that, and and this has some parallels, right? Just just to Google in general, like it really depends on how good of a prompter you are to get the response. Like you do have to have very good or sometimes clever prompts, or it's just not that useful. And so that that to me, while better than having to memorize a a set of verbal commands, right, for voice assistance, is still still a limitation in that. Yes, there's more parameters you can talk to it naturally. But it still has those limitations in the effectiveness that you get out of it in order for it to actually be still useful that I still think we've still got to figure that out. Like people get it, but then you can have your power users, people who are better. Um, some software tries to make it generative and you're like, it's not even helpful in this scenario. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, oh, I've got this generative thing. I'm going to throw it on a new PowerPoint making software tool. And you try it and you're like, this is, did not even come close. Like I'm I just... I can just make one of these faster by hand than you can using generative. But but you know they're trying to capitalize on that hype cycle. Anyway, my point is is that I, I agree with you. There's something there. Something's going to make us more productive. But these things in their early iterations still, like the hope of usefulness is there. I still I still haven't used it and been like that's it. Like this is going to revolutionize my daily workflow. So, I mean I, I don't want to get too. I don't want to try too hard to evaluate ChatGPT because it's it's useful. I, I, but I'm not necessarily I'm not an expert in this, right? If I had if I were really smart, I would go out and build a company based on it. Right. Um, I, I, I I and you know and a lot of times, really powerful important things like say the internet seem really trivial at first, and so I don't want to totally discount ChatGPT and say oh it's not going to change completely change the world. I think you and I agree, though, it doesn't feel like it will, but it's still useful and has potential. And maybe it just shows right. us what 
what you know right. maybe it's just the start of something regardless yep. though regardless it is clearly useful for at least a small set of applications that are can help people in certain ways and it will absolutely drive demand for semiconductors which is yep. something you and i can talk about with some degree of expertise and so i i i think in that context it's it is an important leg for the industry get things moving again because you know for the last few years we've all been a little bit stuck What's yeah. the next thing? What's the, is it VR? Is it AR? Is it crypto? Whatever. Like, yep. um, this is, I think this, this is going to lead to, you know, some, some pretty solid growth, but at this point, it's still also a fairly narrow set of beneficiaries. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about too is, is, and, and this comes back to the AI infrastructure kind of question. Um, what what kind of and and this is a fresh question i think for us to kind of wrestle with and then come back to uh as a as a theme or tracking but what types of progress benchmarks do you think we should be looking out from cuz i've thought about this as like well what if ChatGPT or some form of generative thing just inferences faster right it's just faster than it is there's less latency or that we can train X model of so many billion parameters in half the time. Like I'm just trying to think through what kind of measurements of progress that compute is advancing the algorithms sh- should we maybe look for? Cause my guess is a lot of, a lot of infrastructure companies will want to use those metrics, right? I, I draw less power. I can train these things at half the energy or I can train, uh, you know, 300 billion parameters in half the time or, you, you, you use it and the whole thing is instantaneous. Like I'm just thinking through like progress benchmarks in, in compute and trying to wrap my brain around some stuff that we might watch out for. Yeah, I think for, for training, the big one is, is time to train a big model. And, you know, it still takes a few weeks, even with 30, with 3,072 GPUs behind <laughs> GPUs. it. GPUs, yeah. Um, so certainly for training, yeah, time, time is a big deal. I, I don't think power is quite as important because... It's it's not like twenty four hour three sixty five. It's a fairly narrow window. Um, I I don't know. I, you know, it's a it's a good question. I don't know how much training is being done by all people at all times. It feels like it's much more start and stop. Like you're not not many people are going to be always training models. In, inference, I think I think latency and power are are going to be the ones that matter the most. Like latency and power and you know, I think I think when it comes down to the chip too, it's going to be the amount of memory uh, required to yeah, run memory. inference. I think that's going to be the big. I think it's going to be a big sticking point. Right. So on that point, you you feel like some of these experiences that we'll have, like you, you as the end user, will feel them be measurably faster or something like that. Like you you it'll it'll feel more like instantaneous software than tying to a cloud application that's running algorithms. I, I, you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's, there was a little bit of complaint about ChatGPT in its early days and right. how long it took to, to scroll out. And like, they, 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 they fixed that. They reduced that time pretty, pretty sharply. And, and mostly what they just did is they put in a button that you could stop it in the middle. Right. Um, right. Which is, you know, broke it up. Yeah. I think all that people really wanted. Um, yeah. It, it, it could, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like Google. I think it's different than Google, right? Because Google has the thing. It says how long the search took, and they quantify that. You know, every whatever sure. ten milliseconds, 
reduces the the, the their monetization mechanisms. And I think, right. um, but for, for us as a humans, that's that's not a that's not a totally understandable metric. And I think for some of these things, yeah, it'd definitely be better if it just instantly sort of spit out an answer. Um, so late, latency is going to be a big one. And I think, I think a lot of that's going to be tied to, tied to memory and bandwidth on chip bandwidth. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I wonder too, do, do you have any read on how, how much, so, so both those things, right? So not necessarily CPU, but obviously GPU side, um, how much of like a re a re-roll or rebuild of data center some of this is going to take like is is most of this just slot in parts or are we talking about some parts of a data center just having to be functionally re reconfigured that's a good one i you know i think the the best data we have on this has to go back a few years to when google launched tpu right where they said they said specifically they said having tpu if search trends continue and voice search in particular gets to 5% of search, mm. then having TPU will allow us to reduce the number of data centers we need to build by 50%. Mm. And so absolutely there are, uh, there, there, there's going to be a big CapEx hit here. I think, I don't think that anyone has really thought through what it is going to require yet. Yeah, I, I I don't think like I don't think Amazon's out there building a whole new data center just with G, sure. you know GPUs for for this yet, uh, and I'm not sure we ever will need to get that. I think I think we're I mean we're already seeing a growing mix of GPUs in the data center, and I think this accelerates yeah. that. Right, um, and I think you probably just sort of fit that into your natural, uh, re, you know, your natural upgrade cycle. Every two, makes, three years, you sort of swap through all your parts in right. data centers. Um, yeah. It's interesting, too, because I don't know if you heard this. I don't think they still do it. But um, I had some friends who sold um, uh, core connectivity bits to, to Facebook's data center. And I guess in, in its prime, which I think still goes back to a few years ago, right? But as, as Facebook was scaling, I guess they would just completely redo their data center. So take out all old parts, put in all new, like every few years, like every two to three years, they were just racking them out, putting in new ones. I, I thought that was fascinating. I don't think we have that, like you said, that same sort of problem where companies are going to have to do that in terms of data center builds out. But again, it comes back to wh- how much of this core components or how many systems do they need to be converting to? Because, because again, we are talking about a lot of new applications requiring new compute, especially if we need new memory, new connectivity, new switches, opticals, etc. To speed these up, I would imagine some parts of those are these racks are replaced by X, and and this section's replaced by Y. So I, I think Facebook is important, but sort of, sort of from in the converse because. Everybody held up Facebook as an example of like they have a they clearly had a very different model, and I just know from having worked around them in the past, their approach to data center hardware is a little bit different than everyone else's. They are right. much more likely to buy the cheapest component out there, 
because right. they're just assuming that's going to break and they'll, they'll swap it out. That, but but everybody points to that as something different, which implies that no one else does that, right? I think right. everyone else wants to run their server for two two point five years and get it, you know, past the point of full depreciation, fully utilize it, and then swap it out. Uh, and I think I haven't looked at the data recently, but I know for a long time, new new build from the hyperscalers was a much larger just dwarfed demand for replacement parts, right? They're building, you know, all the, the Super 7 are building a data center, a, a, you know, a year, roughly, probably more. Mm. And mm. that that con- that construction was much greater than the replacement stuff, that, that, that demand. Right. I suspect it's still the same, but probably not quite as out of whack. And so then, so then it's, I, it's an interesting question, though. If you're at, if you're a, a product manager or a CEO at, Google or Amazon, and you have to plan out like how much GPT do I need to power? Yep. Uh, you know, Google's clearly been on the, I'm not going to call it AI, the the matrix multiplication path for a long time. So it's probably built into their their planning. I, I, it's hard. I, I think if I were in their shoes, I would have a hard time saying, oh, we got to scrap all our plans because of LLMs, right? Uh, and, you know, double the amount of GPUs we're going to buy. I don't think that's going to happen. I think most of these companies saw something like this happening and are sort of on a similar path already. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't see why they would n- now say, oh, we got to like really, really double and triple down and get something new out. Um, right. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's, that's right. Uh, interesting. All right. Well, this will be a topic I think we'll frequent throughout uh, throughout the years as things evolve. Um, you're off to MWC, so we'll do a recap of what you learned there in the world of semis at MWC uh, when you're back. Um, yeah. Next next episode will be uh, telecom wireless heavy. Te- telecom ORAN ORAN VRANS. Yes, be, all of it. It'll okay. Be, yep. Heavy stuff. Great. There. Well, cool. enjoy uh, MWC. If people are there, reach out to Jay on Twitter, get emails, uh, and uh, we will talk next time. Bye, everybody.